Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey, it's GQ here, and thanks for tuning in to the How We Solve podcast. Today, I'm joined by Erin Ezips, the Chief Customer Officer and CEO at CSM Practice, an incredible customer success consulting firm that has helped companies increase retention, improve customer satisfaction, grow customer advocacy, and bottom lines. Erin is known by everyone in the customer success industry. She's been named one of the top customer success and CX strategists year after year since 2013. And today, we're going to be talking about a specific challenge that she solved in the early days of her consulting firm. Irid, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. All right. So before we dive into the meat of things, you know, if you could share a little bit about CMSM practice, and I mean, we've kind of gone given that spiel there, but if you'd like to put it in your own words so that our listeners understand more about CSM practice. CSM practice is now a strategy consulting firm. But in the early days, we started about six years ago, mid-2014, we saw a need in the market for companies that had recurring revenues to optimize the methodology and strategy of how they're doing things so that they can optimize the revenues and grow profitably from the existing customer base. We've seen a lot of churn. People were just doing what they used to be doing when they had just on-premise licenses where, you know, you would sell something to a customer and set it and forget it. And that just didn't work anymore with SaaS companies or any subscription revenues that are now predominant for almost every industry. And so that's what we set up to do. We set up to um, create a consulting firm that can help companies avoid some of the common mistakes that other companies have already done and really learn best practices as fast as possible and make sure that they capture the outcomes they want for their business sooner rather than later. All right. Very, very cool. So how did CSM practice get started? What's the initial backstory before everything? I got to create this firm after I worked at a company called Gainsight. Gainsight was one of the leaders in creating the category of customer success. And I was one of the early team members and executive team members to think through what customer success really is. We must have interviewed across uh, the globe a tune of 100 to 200 executives that did various things related to retaining customers. And we started collecting these best practices. And so when I left Gainsight, I left it because I really wanted to reconnect with what it is that I love doing, and that's consulting. I've done consulting for many years, and it just sits better for me personally. And so, honestly, it just started as a lifestyle business. I left Gainsight, and as I was giving them the, my two-week notice, I had coffee with someone that was an executive of uh, sales at a, a large company, and she said, hey, why don't you come work for me? And I said, nah. <laughs> I want to take a sabbatical. I want to figure out what it is that I want before I get my next job. And she said, well, why don't you just do it part-time? I said, you know what? I'm going to do it like max 10 hours a week because I want the remaining of the week to just really work on, you know, my sabbatical agenda. (laughs) That ended up being my first project. And so you can imagine one of the first issues we had as a company is we just did it by the hour. We charged by the hour. 
that model has a lot of issues, as we soon discovered. Okay, that is precisely what we came to talk about and dissect, because I'm pretty sure that quite some of our listeners as well, they're probably on a similar model. Maybe some people that are just starting out, and maybe they've been at this for a while, and they would love to understand, how did you go about changing that and how did that and how did you address these challenges you know in the true spirit of how we solve you know if you could share with us the steps like how we would do this to address these challenges yeah well let me share a little bit more about what the challenges really were because there's a bit there's a ton of entrepreneurs out there that just set shop because they become an expert in what they do because of various things and then they just don't want to work for anybody they want to Working, be working with a lot of different clients. And so they start charging by the hour, which is exactly what we've done. And what I've noticed, there were a few issues that came out of that model. One, you know, we might have estimated the number of hours that it would take to do a certain thing in the wrong way, meaning we might have budgeted too many hours or we might have not budgeted enough hours. And so that was one issue. And I think the bigger issue is that sometimes we would get a budget for, let's say, 100 hours. And somewhere around the 60, 70 hours we have done, and I'm just using it as a, you know, as a 60% of not really 100 hours, right? But at some point, you know, during the project, the customer would get tired or they would, we would start getting into complex stuff. And it would need more resources and more energy from there on there on the customer's end to actually go through that phase. And the customer would be too tired and they would let some of the scope go. And because it was hourly, it was easy for them to just say, you know what, you've done so much so far. No worries. You know, we don't need this section. We'll just deprecate that. And there was nothing in the contract that says, well, we had a budget of 100 hours. Let's try to find something else to do. <laughs> we weren't even set up to kind of suggest these things because we were working towards scope. There were a lot of issues in the sense that we didn't really capitalize on the contracted revenues. The actualized revenue was smaller typically than contracted revenues. And sometimes we would bleed on projects, meaning we budgeted 100, but we would really need 120. And we didn't do a good job at scope change requests because we were we were trying to be nice. Well, they just asked for this little thing and that little thing. And before you know it, to actually get to what we originally said we were going to do, we're now like way in the hole. So those were the challenges and the impact it had on our cash flow position, really. Wow. Okay. That must have been pretty rough. And so what was your first step then, you know, that, that, that you took to understand? Because you've already outlined what that challenge looks like. You've outlined what the obstacles are, what are the friction points. And so how would you go about as a first step? Like, let's say if I'm in a similar, similar situation right now, how should I go about evaluating and figuring out what the best way to tweak my business model? Or I guess like in this way, how do I best optimize my business from the, in that state? Well, you have to consider this was end of year two, beginning of year three that I just said to myself, you know, as a CEO of a very small company, if we were to grow, we need to have a better handle of cash flow and ability to do projections. And so the first thing that I've done is I talk to other people in my industry to see what do they do? You can't really reimagine everything. And so I used to belong to an executive alliance uh, group with other CEOs and I actually shared my conundrum with them and got some feedback out of that that really made me think about how do I package the fees? There's something 
mentally wrong. That's not necessarily about the customer, but it is about how we do business. So we ended up changing the way we packaged our fees. So instead of doing hourly, we started packaging. We said, well, this kind of effort typically takes 50 hours or 100 hours or 300 hours. And Mr. Customer, you can buy a three-month package of 50 hours because that's how long it's going to take us to finish this. Instead of saying, well, let's do a scope of 50 hours and we'll charge you by the hour and you know, we'll see if we get there or not. So they prepaid us for the amount of hours that it would take us to implement the scope. And then quarter over quarter, we'll estimate the additional work that they wanted us to do if they wanted us to do anything and buy more hours per the scope that they needed at each quarter. So that was one way for us to have better predictability of cash flow and also have the client commit to a certain number of hours. Because guess what? If it took us 40 hours to go through what they were thinking about doing that quarter and they had 10 more hours left in the budget, they would come up with stuff for us to do. I like that because I think you're right. Predictability in an agency standpoint is so important. And that's kind of why, like, even with our own agency, for example. So I think it's really awesome that you decided to pivot to a prepaid model because I think one of the biggest problems that agencies always face is, you know, when you're working with clients, when you do it postpaid, two things can happen. One, you know, the hours might be changed according to what you might need, but also at the same time, it, it can be a problem to collect invoices, to collect payment, collect payments. And you would also have problems forecasting what your cash flow is actually going to be like for the rest of the month. And that's going to be a lot harder for you to focus on scaling, to focus on, you know, on, on offering better services and kind of like understanding the resources that you need for your business, right? Exactly. Now, the other original issue that we had with previous model was that, you know, imagine before we had a budget of 100 hours, we finished 60, and then they just deprecated some of the scope. Listen, this could happen with a recurring model or a prepaid model too. Hmm, they have 40 hours, okay, they find a few more things to do with the next 10 hours. Who guarantees that they're going to renew the next quarter to buy additional hours? The problem with the 60 hours, and they have 40 more hours that is approved by finance from the budget, and they just can't find stuff for you to do. So we're going into something that's really related to customer success methodologies, which is expansion selling and really partnering with the customer to figure out, first of all, what are their business priorities? And second of all, how can you help them accomplish those? And this should be a recurring conversation with customers on a quarterly basis. SaaS companies call it QBRs. Service companies just don't do it very well. So what we took on is sort of like eating our own dog food because we recommend that to clients all the time. And so we started doing workshops, what we call strategy workshops with clients on a quarterly basis. Did that to really uncover, was there a change in priorities quarter over quarter, but also allow the customer benchmark themselves against best practices for different aspects of the area of the business that we were trying to help with is customer success, but, you know, just in general, what does best practices look like? And where are you, Mr. Customer, in all of these different perspectives? And what that helped us to do is uncover additional things that we wanted to work with the customer and the customer was enthusiastic to hire us again to achieve those results. That is very cool. That was actually going to be my, my follow-up question. And that was like, you know, understanding when you adopted this new approach, how did your existing clients, I guess, take to this change? But it seems like, I guess, they benefited from this greatly instead. 
Let me tell you, once we started doing these strategic workshops, they actually asked us, when are we going to do the next one? Are you coming this August? I still have customers. If I didn't do it for a while, they'll call us and say, hey, Yuri, when can you come on? Well, not on site now. Now we do them obviously online during Corona, but we love doing those, by the way, on site. They're great for relationship building as well. But I have customers consistently ask us, when are you going to do the next workshop? We haven't done a workshop in a while. When can we do it? And it's a win-win situation for all because you really, it's our opportunity to partner with our customers and build long-term relationship. So one of the impacts, and, and this, we did this, we, we started pivoting towards this in year three and really predominantly did it across all types of projects in year three and four. And now we have customers that have stayed with us for two years. You know, it, it's no longer a single project type client. You come in, you do an SLW, you finish, and then hopefully they're for the next thing if they can think of something. It's more about, you know, perpetuity and being part of their team and constantly think about how can we improve our prepayment sometimes half a year in advance because we can actually push the vision for a longer term type of priorities and action items that the team would like to take on. Now they have visibility to the roadmap that they wanted to take for the next year or two. And that's really the secret sauce to having a more cash flow positive, predictable model and one that you can actually scale. I love that. So funny enough, like uh, we were talking about scaling. Besides the process and besides the obviously the model that you've shared in terms of how you scaled your business, were there any particular technologies that you were using to help with scaling your business with this new model in mind? Well, obviously, we, we used QuickBooks quite a bit. First of all, you know, we started reporting. You would think that now that we moved from an hourly to a prepaid or, you know, even a monthly retainer that you wouldn't need to track hours. And I would submit to you that it's the other way around. Actually, when a customer prepays for the hours or even have you on a monthly retainer, it's very important to keep track of the activities that you're providing to that customer. And then it's very important to highlight the wins and the milestones and the deliverables that you've accomplished. So we're using a couple of tools. We're using QuickBooks and uh, Hubstaff to track hours and report them back to the client on a weekly basis. So if they paid for 100 hours a quarter, then every week they're going to see where are these hours being spent. And many of our clients actually really like to know, okay, you're doing quite a bit of things. So that's one. Then we're leveraging collaboration on workspace to actually say, okay, what are the deliverables that we're committing to every month? We have weekly stand-up calls with the team to say, what are the wins that we're going to have this quarter? So everybody on my team is really aligned to what are the milestones and celebration moments we're going to have with this client at the end of the month? And we actually send them a virtual cupcake when, you know, they completely deliverable or, you know. Very cool. It's very cool. And so we really leverage technology to create very clear transparency around, you know, the value that they're getting. And then our status reports tr drastically changed since we switched to a value management type uh, methodology, which is the pinnacle of customer success. 
So our status report not only celebrates, this is what we've done last week. This is what we're going to do next week. These are the risks, you know, the traditional status report. We actually highlight, these are the deliverables or these are the things that we've accomplished. This is the percentage to completion. And so we can highlight what are the action items that needs to still happen to get to 100%. And the 100% is not just finishing a deliverable, is actually making sure that the change management happened at the customer. So we track it to the customer's outcome, not to the scope of work. Does that make sense? I love that it's targeting the outcome, providing the appropriate experience to achieve a desired outcome. Just like thinking about the customer success framework, right? Just, just coming back to that. I was curious because there was one thing that you mentioned. So you're tracking, you know, the milestones, you're tracking the activities or interactions that you have with your clients. Are you tracking this? Like you mentioned QuickBooks, you mentioned Hubstaff. Are you using some form of CRM or customer success software to also kind of monitor how the relationship is being developed? I think that if we were a much bigger company, we probably would need to. I think that that's called out when you have 50 customers or more, you definitely need to start tracking not only what activities, but you also need to track the level of engagement of a customer. I think right now with the size that we have, we got it handled without such a tool. But I do see going forward as we're across a certain threshold of number of customers, we would absolutely need that because you can't, at that point, I as a CEO won't be really engaged in any of these projects or very little. And just to have that kind of visibility, you will need some sort of a tool that shows you the level of engagement of a customer and what was the last touch point. How many touch points did we have per week? Is it as prescribed or lower? Those are the kind of things that you definitely want to keep watch as someone that manages those services arm for your agency or consulting firm. And the tool can definitely help. I think when you're like a boutique consulting firm like mine, it's still quasi lifestyle business, almost scalable business. You know, we're still not there and it, it would be an overkill. That's actually very good advice. That also helps keep your operations lean because you don't want to be incurring additional tech costs. This is really necessary, right? And I love the fact because like, you know, like CSM practice, I have to admit, I'm also a subscriber to CSM practice and it's coming from a customer success background. It's been very helpful. And I love that how, I would say walking the talk in a way, because, you know, you're the expert in this and that's showing in the way that you've adopted, how you've optimized your business service and such that it's very client centric, it's very customer focused, such that you're creating value, not just like, you know, just like, hey, let's just get these done, but rather understanding what is that next step? How can we take things further for you for this year? Because sometimes I think some people might tend to forget that it's not just a transactional relationship. For example, like if you're like a Shopify dev agency, hey, let's just build this website, call it a day, that's it. But rather, okay, so we've done the website for it, but what's, what's your actual goal? What's your goal for the year, you know, what do you want to achieve out of this, like, you know, site update, or for example, if you want to put out some landing pages to drive certain campaigns, like what's the long-term vision here? And I, and I love that, you know, you said that quarterly strategy workshops, that's something I've never thought about before, but that's a really good tip. I think that, that people and agencies should definitely have that because I think you might have weekly check-ins, you might have monthly check-ins, but that's very different from actually sitting down and brainstorming together, right? That's definitely very different from the usual client calls in that sense. Yeah, and I think I want to also emphasize that these strategy calls should happen not just with a customer. We put a lot of emphasis on doing weekly internal stand-up calls for each project. And in those calls, we take a look at the next two weeks. Do we have enough touch points with the customer? Have we pre-planned ahead of time? 
That's why I don't need a system. We just look at the calendar and we see it. Then we also align, does everybody know what are the business outcomes that we're going to achieve this month for this client? Because we're committed to having an outcome-based approach and we want to have also an agile type of projects and you know be able to prove value to customers and so and we know no customer wants to get to ultimate results in you know 2 years if they could have it in 2 months we always think about how can we accelerate are we taking on too much scope should we push back so that we can focus on this one thing so we can finish it quickly and they could see value more quickly so sometimes you know go and, and advise to the customer if they we think they're making mistakes in prioritization, we might step in and say, listen, you're, we're taking on too much. It will take you forever until you see value. How about we focus on this, get that out of the way so you can get some value. And then we focus on the other things. You'd be surprised. Sometimes clients are are open to it and they appreciate the feedback. Very, very cool. I love that. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I think that having that kind of uh, proactive approach to working with your clients, that's ultra crucial to building a long-lasting relationship. You know, I have I have two of my favorite questions <laughs> before we close out the interview. And so the first question is, what are some resources or books that you could recommend to our listeners so that, you know, as they're looking to optimize and figure out what the best business model is for them, that they can draw inspiration from that it has done, you know, how has helped you, for example? Yeah, if you're a service-based firm, I definitely recommend The Boutique, which is a podcast and a book by Greg Alexander. We also recently joined the Collective 54 membership. It's a great program. And I think I not only learned a lot, but it validated a lot of the things that I thought I knew, but wasn't sure if I was even doing correctly or timely. And so that's one area that I definitely recommend. There's a couple of other books that I've read that I think are really great. But honestly, listen to and watch what others in your industry are doing. Read a lot of blogs and find a niche of advisory board that you can trust that we recently built ours and it has not only brilliant business people but also people are that are in my industry so you know between people that don't necessarily understand consulting but understand my industry and collective 54 that understand services you know i think we're in a much better position to grow and scale the company yeah, so besides Collective 54 for services companies, anybody here that has a recurring revenue model or just is looking to switch over to a more outcomes-based type model, I highly recommend go to our YouTube channel at you know youtube.com forward slash CSN practice. I issue at least one video a week where I interview executives from different companies that have sort of like cracked the code on outcome-based, you know customer management and customer success in general, highly recommended. So if you have the time, go ahead and subscribe and see what you get there. And then of course, there's your podcast that I love. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's so nice of you. (laughs) Yeah, it's brilliant. So yeah, you know, I think all of us as CEOs of small businesses as entrepreneurs always struggle to find the balance between working on the business and in the business because most of us start because we're very passionate about the topic and we want to be involved in projects. And at some point, you know, hopefully all of us end up working more on the business than in the business uh, because we find a model that works. 
And I don't think there's a book about that, but sometimes it takes years to find and fine tune the business model so we can scale it. And one thing that I would like to precaution everybody is don't try to scale it too fast. Make sure that the business model works, it's profitable, and it's scalable. And I think that sometimes I see entrepreneurs make the mistake of trying to scale something that's not really optimized and then small problems become really big problems. And patience is really okay when you have your own business. Not everybody needs to have an amazing business in two years. Sometimes it takes 10, 12 years to build something that's truly optimized and great for for scaling. And then the scaling happens really fast. I love that. Thank you so much, Ira. That's really, really good advice. And the final question, interesting one, it's, is there a personal mission statement or that you live by? Be kind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I like that. Be kind, it's good. It's very good. Yeah, I try to do like good deed. That's a thankless good deed every day. Like when you do something for someone with no expectation of getting anything back, I think that's a really great way for me to at least to live. It just brings so much joy when you can be essentially worthy, right? Like just have an impact that's positive. And then it doesn't matter what happened at work or in your personal life. If you could just create that moment of light for someone else, it just brings joy to life. And I found that it's a great way to to live life. It just creates such a great abundance of joy and balance. That's super cool. Thank you for sharing that. I think that this is so hyper crucial. It's considering like 2021 just kind of like started in February. And I think a little bit of kindness is very much needed in times like these days. So thank you. Thank you for being so awesome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This was a great conversation. I don't always get to speak about my company. I, a lot of times I just get to speak about customer success. So this is like very therapeutical. <laughs> no, because like, you know, you're doing so well with CSM practice and there's always something to learn. And so thank you, Irid, for coming on the show and sharing all these interesting, I like to call it nuggets of information. And of course, also a lot of good advice for a different agency owner. So thank you, Irid, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.